What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, two special guests today. Uh, we are talking Villainous, the new cyberpunk graphic novel uh, with our two guests, authors and creators of their own rights, TJ Sterling and Newton Lillibois. Thank you, sir. Both of you for being here. What's up, guys? What's up? Thanks for having me. <laughs> right, call it. The crowd goes wild. Yo, what's up, what's up? Now, for, now to get into it for for both of you, um, when we when we talk about veterans in the indie game, um, you know, a lot of times we get to talk about like basically a lot of the the newer aspects and people just jumping in on the first run and trying to depict their first stories for the first time. You guys, though, both of you have been in this game for a hot minute. Uh, it, it, now, if you could discuss your backgrounds r- real quick, as far, as far as like uh, your start in comics and the titles that it, that you brought to everybody's hands, I'll start with you, Newton. Yeah. So my name is Newton Lillevoix. I'm the comic book writer and creator of Crescent City Monsters. Um, it's a supernatural horror uh, comic book series. There you go. Yep. <laughs> it's a uh, it's an award winning series. Um, uh, my partner in crime my, is my artist, uh, Gene Carlo Bernal. That dude is amazing. He's just like killer. If you guys haven't seen the artwork in the comic book, you should definitely uh, check it out. In fact, uh, Gene was nominated for a Ringo Award as best cover artist last year. So um, yeah, we got we got gypped. He should have won that, but you know whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and currently I'm working on another project uh, called uh, Keishan Demon Eater. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, the feedback from social media and just people in general has been amazing. And so um, I'm, that's what I'm currently working on um, outside of uh, Villainous. Dope. TJ? Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, TJ Sterling, president and lead artist of Ray Comics. I write, I draw, I do a whole bunch of stuff. You know what I'm saying? The hats that I wear reaches the ceiling. So um, uh, started my career working as an intern in the bullpen for Marvel way back in the day, about 10 years ago now. And um, that's kind of where I got the basis of my comic book knowledge and, you know, really not seeing enough diversity in comics. I wanted to create my own comic book company. So shortly after that, I created Ray Comics. And with Ray Comics, uh, the first book that we ever debuted was a Super Sentai Tokukatsu style story called Okamas, uh, where it's uh, sci-fi, martial arts, time travel, everything that you loved about the 90s as a kid brought into one book. Um, currently, we've got about six issues in the series, issue zero all the way up to number five. We've got single issues and collected editions. Last year, we dropped our second book, and that's Joystick Angels. It's a... Uh, space opera series centered on five young black space pilots trying to save the universe from the evil alien empire you like gardens of the galaxy or star wars are going to love this book so we've got a lot of great variety and now we're kind of bringing the full circle with you know that last little gem in this in the sci-fi crown and that cyberpunk here with villainous and we're super excited about it well see i like to think of it as a best of both worlds for one uh you have newton who has taken uh absolute deep deep dives in horror and for you have been basically uh, molding yourself around sci-fi for so much, the combination of the two, what is, what is the dynamic that is brought to this book? So um, I would say that's, that's a good point. Cause it, it really, with the com that combination, the um, it's like a gritty sci-fi, you know, cause you know, um, because I'm into horror, a lot of the stories I write are really gritty and, they're not really like um, happy-go-lucky, you know. <laughs> the heroes face a lot of adversity, you know, um, and I make it hard on my main characters. So I like I like to have um, my characters and my world just be like really gritty. And so um, mix that with um, what you have in sci-fi, what TJ's done in sci-fi. You have this like gritty sci-fi um, story, which is which is a perfect blend for um, cyberpunk meets Afropunk, you know, just absolutely perfect. Now, now I don't want to get too deep. Now, um, the lead character, uh, Shatter, is, of course, the anti-hero in this book. Um, okay, maybe I am getting a little bit deep. But uh, <laughs> uh, 
the depiction of where this story storyline is going it's a of course a graphic novel so it's it's not necessarily a volume trade uh 22 page comic book that we're used to seeing from the both of you it's 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 what 40 50 pages yeah 80 plus right now Ooh. see that, that's, yeah. that's a I whole, mean, we... whole mess of reading right there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think over the years, you know, people have always had the same request of me and Newton, like, you know, we want more. And we figured if, you know, the first time we collaborate together as creators and as business owners and as Black, you know, entrepreneurs, we're going to give you guys as much as we can on the first offering. So you come to the dinner table and literally you get the entire spread, you know what I'm saying? Like straight out the gate, no little morsels, no appetizers, you get the full on three course meal. This is true. Yeah. And the thing, too, is, um, to be honest, it felt like we had no choice. As we were writing the story, we got up to chapter one, issue one, and we were like, yo, we can't stop here. So we got, you know, up to chapter two, issue two, and we're like, yo, we can't stop here either. <laughs> so it was like, it was like, all right, let's, let's do another 20 pages. And by the time we hit the 20 pages, we were like, all right, you know, this, this is um, good enough just to give them that little taste. So even after... The, the the 80 plus pages you guys are still going to be wanting more it's just going to be like the the tip of the iceberg you know what i mean this like 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 the the prologue you know yep i mean as i'm seeing it right now i think uh you guys are pretty much halfway there to your goal so i'm just gonna wish you guys congratulations early in the game because it's pretty much going to meet its completion and be in everybody's hands by when the summer yeah, yeah. Summertime, what, what, Newton, what do you think, like, like J July, August, the absolute latest? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we have scheduled right now, July um, for, yeah, June for some of the, most of the tiers, and then um, July for some of the more, like, collectible tiers, which, where um, supplies and materials may say, take some time to get to us, so it's, it's a little bit, it's like a month later, just to make sure that we're not late on our project. Got you. Now, now to get into the storyline, um, the lead character Shatter, um, of course, being an anti-hero and uh, basically has has been listed as completely fed up with the with the process of of living in the uh, in the city in which he lives, and basically has taken it upon himself to, by any means, uh, break down the the secretive government ops that are basically just holding everybody into some type of oppression. So not only is he going after government officials, he's going after uh, notorious street games who, who are basically a part of the whole deal. As I'm looking at it, he just seems like a dude that just like has had enough. Now, could you tell me about Shatter? Yeah, um, Shatter is kind of like one of those characters where, you know, he didn't set out to do good. I mean, I think he probably set out to do bad, but, you know, in his past, something so traumatic happened to him that, you know, it kind of, the reason why he's called Shatter is because he's a broken man. And I think a lot of us as, um, uh, you know, black men have gone through so many crazy things where we feel broken, you know, whether it's exterior or interior. And I think something so, so bad happened to Shatter that he becomes a broken man. And out of this, um, you know, destruction, you know, arises like the phoenix from from an from ashes, like this, you know, this villainous character who's hell bent on kind of balancing the scales, really, because he's fed up with, you know, the corporations and the corporate tycoons and the billionaires and all this bullshit agenda that a lot of times we are facing now. We're just starting to see now with a lot of stuff that's going on in our own personal society. So he's just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to take this stuff into my own hands. And he's not really thinking about anybody except himself in this case, but ends up kind of being championed a little bit by the people around, around in the city of Demetropolis. Yeah, exactly. Cause um, you know, the very definition of a anti-hero is what um, a hero who doesn't fit to have the, the same moral compass as what you typically would think of an anti-hero, right? But in some ways, his acts always seem noble. And so like TJ said, you know, um, or hinted at is that um, Shatter's, mo mo most of his motivation is selfish. You know, he's not out really to save the world. He's acting out on his own anger, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you know, this is my anger. This is my frustration. 
And this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm tired about, I'm tired about, I'm tired about just complaining and sitting down. So um, I'm actually going to do something about it, but he does it in a selfish way. Not like he's, he's a kind hearted person, right? But because people see his actions and they kind of, they, they can connect to it because they feel that anger, the same right. frustrations and ang anger that um, Shatter feels um, they feel too. So, and they're, they're going to, they're going to start to connect to him and he's, he's going to have this influence on people that um you know the government and even even the the rebel force right because you have a we have a rebel force called destruct and they're secretive and they're opposing the government too but mm -hmm. not in the same way that shatter is doing it shatter is like hey you know we're we're gonna um just destroy everything destruct is more like hey we're just gonna try to fix the system mm. you know they, they don't uh, destruct is not trying to like break everything and into right. pieces or burn everything down but shatters you know the opposite so even though they look like they have the same end goal they 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 um the way they go about it is like it's two different things and and so that they're gonna he's gonna bump heads with the, the rebel force he's gonna be bumping heads with the government so he's gonna be bumping heads with everyone and so it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of fun playing with a character like that who at the same time kind of grows in power because people can relate to his um anger and frustration so like district as a team are pretty much trying to fix the system and be on top of the food chain, whereas Shatter uh, pretty much as 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 is described, he's causing anarchy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Destruct is like, hey, um, you know, we just want to fix the system, work within it. We're not trying to rebuild the world, you know, um, and then Shatter is like, nah, everything's got to go, <laughs> you know, and so. <laughs> It's like even it's, it's like it's like, you know, um, somebody shadows. I, I kind of picture him as somebody who sits in between the Sith and the Jedi's. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean, the great Jedi. He, yeah, he, he doesn't agree with either of them. You know? <laughs> and he's like, yo, we, you both need to start over. <laughs> Mandalorian <laughs> with that dark saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, 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 there was a lot as far as. Uh, reading the summary for um, for the Kickstarter when I was reading the campaign and uh, what basically brought you to 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 write this book. Um, mostly I wanted to talk about the um, the narratives in which it displays the depiction of minority victims being deemed as villains being an inspiration for why why you created the comic and why you wrote it in such a way. Yeah, man. Um, you know, me, me and Newton been friends for a couple of years and we've done a lot of conventions together. We've, you know, kind of been even all over the country in some spots and, you know, just had a lot of time to talk about life stuff, you know what I'm saying? And connect as brothers, you know what I'm saying? Within this industry. And I think, you know, right around the time of the stuff that was going on with George Floyd and, and, you know, that entire situation that just shocked America, um, it really, uh, you know, there was just a lot of anger and pain that was kind of brewing underneath the surface before, surface before all that. I mean, cause you know, we talking about the Alton Sterlings and, you know what I'm saying? The, um, you know, the Tamir Rices and all of these young people that have gotten, you know, unjustly treated by the police and, and, you know, them losing their lives really for nothing only because it's, it, cause it's out of fear. So when the George Floyd thing happened, it was really like a, a brewing moment. The, 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 I guess the top just brewed over. And it was like, man, we want to write a story where we are talking about some of these issues directly, not beating your head over it where it's preachy, but just like really tastefully talking about how ridiculous some of these things are, these differences are, but also, you know, why um, we all have to kind of rise up and, and, you know, make a statement. And I think what's really interesting now, um, you know, uh, facts, you work in a lot of different industries, and I'm sure you see it in yours, because, you know, me and Newton, we also have like corporate gigs, and we, you know, work in different spaces. Mm -hmm. But a lot of corporations are realizing that cancel culture is real. Like, if you are not uh, really about diversifying your, your boardroom, your managers, the people, you know, putting more women and people of color in positions that can make change, actual change within your business, like, nobody's giving you your money no more. So it's really one of them things where it's real out here. Like if you are not like the, the, pop, the people have the voice. And I think with Villainous, we're showing that one man and a group of people can have that voice and be an instrument for change on the good side and on the bad side. Yeah. And I like to add to that. Um, 
what we wanted to do too was explore, you know, the whole, uh, the, the power that Donald Trump has over this country, right? Because when you think about it, you know, you're like, okay, um, he lost the election, you know, yay, you know, we can celebrate, but mm. it's not really a celebration because that wasn't like, you know, he was, he, 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 he lost by a landslide. Yeah. You know, it was it was relatively very close, neck and neck, right? Mm -hmm. um, as far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't have been that even anywhere near as that close, you know. Right. Um. So that means that you know someone like Trump really and his ideology really has a, a firm grip on this country, right? In the minds and hearts of this country, and you know, our thought was like, well, you know, what if? Trump, because it's, it's not over, right? Trump is still, he's still got a power base. He's, he's still, you know, able to influence the Republican Party. And so, on and again. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, so he, so so it's not over, right? And there, there's a possibility he could come back, right? What if he comes back and he actually, you know, wins, right? He, um, America becomes Trump America, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the people who share our, our ideology now are going to be, villainized right <laughs> so right. Um, we wanted to see how that would look like 100 years from now where trump is praised as um because uh, over time you know they can rewrite history and kind of re-image it you know 100 years from now you know if uh trump wins the heart of the country it's very possible that you know in the history books he could look like george washington you know <laughs> this, this great oh, man yeah. who who, who set um, the country back on the right path right mm -hmm. so um we we wanted to take that narrative and say okay um how would that look like in the future you know against the backdrop of a character like shatter you know and explore a, a lot of the the crazy things that could happen in the future like that like you know um you know tj had once talked about it um talking about the privatization of the police force right you know corporations <laughs> um controlling it um now you have you even have more of a um authoritative power because now corporations and people in power are actually um controlling these things so all of this you know and it's just and even the idea of like for example in our world right um typically in sci-fi when you have um cyborgs right they're the cool characters they got all this cool stuff and thing but in in our world cyborgs are um sort of like the, the lower class people because um only poor people could only afford these you know metallic cyborg pieces to 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 replace themselves um but the rich people have like these nice organic clone human looking like things uh, that they need to replace their organs and stuff so they they're they're not size so and, and it's a physical way to actually also distinguish you right because you know it's easy to um discriminate against black people because um it's easy to see that they're black right um back in the days Sometimes when um, there was like discrimination amongst the talents, it wasn't always obvious that they were a talent, you know, they could, right. they could uh, but um, when, to have a physical attribute that you could discriminate against was, um, was kind of an interesting twist too. Cause you know, naturally if you have cyborg parts, you're going to see, they're going to um, reveal themselves. You're going to be able to see them. So um, things like that, we just wanted to play with in, in this world and um, trying to give you a little taste of what we're trying to build here. Yeah. I I, I kind of see that most of the things that are like triggering to shatter are pretty much uh, the the enabling of psychological warfare through like uh, if if you want to talk about it through nowadays through those terms social media cable news just pretty much indoctrinating people into mm -hmm. a mindset that's going to be either you're going to be on this side or that side you know yeah. and pretty much. I think well, a person like Shatter just pretty much has seen it and kind of got fed up with all of it. Even the bickering back and forth, whether anybody was thinking that they were good on either side, it's kind of like, okay, look, you're both wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm going to basically like rectify the situation. All of it has to burn. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Some men just want to watch the world burn. It's one of my favorite quotes <laughs> from Batman. You know what I'm saying? Like, shatters that dude. He just wants to see the shit burn because I mean, I think his his uh, hope for humanity and is kind of really low based on what's happened to him over his life. And I think um, 
as we get deeper into like volume two and volume three, we're going to see, you know, more of Shatter's origin story and how he became the man who he is and all that other stuff. But yeah, he's, he's just a very complex character, man. I think um, a lot of us at some, you know, at times just want to like wipe the slate clean. Let's start this whole thing over because of all the corruption and craziness. And he's the guy that's going to do it in this story. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, he's not really taking any prisoners in this either. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, yeah, I, I don't own jail cells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's I'm not taking you with me either. I don't own handcuffs. It's pretty much <laughs> the end of you. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much it. But it's um, a writing credit right there, dude. We gotta add that little quote in there. <laughs> oh yeah, inspired. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate. It. So, so, uh, so, also in that mindset, you're looking at now, truth, or, uh, I guess, subsequental truth, is now seen as a rebellion on misinformation. So, there's a lot of people that are fact checkers and everything like that. They see history and they know history. Um, but necessarily now, in the in the age of social media, you see that if there's truth out there, there's opinions able to just stack on top of it, shove it under the rug, and pretty much misinformation now takes over as a sort of pseudo-truth to the viewing public. How is yeah. that seen in this book towards towards Shatter? And how how does he grow tired, tired of all this? I wanted to add something real quick as a thought came to mind. I mean, I was a big history buff in, in college and high school. It was like one of my favorite subjects. And, you know, economics kind of came second. And, and understanding that this type of society you live in really kind of drives the type of um, people that come out of that society. And in one case, I was thinking about um, communist China. And for the longest time, you know, anything that was wasn't government related was considered you know rebel you know rebellious so when you had not only the television but their so you know their um internet but also just anything advertisement wise even artwork was all was all meant to be you know properties of the state anything against that was propaganda so mm -hmm. people came out of society like this is this is how we have to live it was very like cookie cutter like you, you put these people in a mold kick them out and i think understanding that you know extremism within any type of society really breeds different types of people you know really mm -hmm. different types of ideologies and i think for us um when thinking about what Demetropolis was as a whole, like how can we make this something so extreme that it's kind of permeated to every part of society, even like something like the news or a social media post or a piece of artwork could be considered offensive or against the you know uh, direction of the powers that be. Mm. Now, uh, the, the main antagonist in this book is a... If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he's a politician. Um, no, well, hmm, that's a good question. Who is the main antagonist? Yeah, it was like. Uh, so yeah, the the main antagonist really is um General Strom and um this uh, the Metropolis detective, Kalisa, right? Kalisa Mystery. Kalisa Mystery, who, who's supposed to um go after Shatter. Um, but the the thing is. They they won't really head butt heads until a, um a little bit later in the book or even okay. start to um, think so. Um th those are the main um antagonists for um shatter, but at the same time, um we're still what what we did. I'm a fan of the slow burn, right? So when I tell a story, I'm I'm not like you never like you would rarely see in the first issue where I just like boom explain everything, you know, like this is. The main character, you know, he, he, you know, when he was a baby, he did this. And then now it's like, you know, I like, you know, taking the readers on a journey. So uh -huh. um, the way TJ and I approached it is that we were like slowly peeling, you know, the story, you know, but pa but pacing it um, at a really good pace and making sure that because TJ and I really love action, we, we put as much action as where it makes sense. Um, so we're pacing the story. Um, you're gonna you're gonna see who the antagonist is, but 
um, it's it's not always going to be obvious who his enemies are. You right. Know? Um, you you because like I said, you know, Shatter doesn't really take sides. So when you're when you're reading the book, you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> it's not like he has a lot of friends or allies, and he has more enemies than anything. And you know, he's he's a very like um, not just an anti-hero, but he's anti-social too. So it's like we should have put that in there, TJ. We should have put like uh shadow anti-hero, anti-social. Oh, like this. This interview is bringing all kinds of new ideas out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so constantly, I guess you see that you see that trope between um Major Strawman and uh Knessa Mystery. Like she's more like I guess local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And you have Major Strom, who is basically part of national government. He's 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 militant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, there's a power struggle between the both of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We played on that trope because um, that that was kind of fun to do because um, that just the characters themselves. Because you know, you you've seen it in TV before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing a police investigation. The FBI comes in. They're like, "Oh, we don't need your help. What are you guys doing here? This is our jurisdiction." And the FBI's like, "No, this is ours because federal mandate." Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> so yeah so um so we yeah we played on that and the the interesting thing about what we're doing though is um the characters themselves right the police detective she's she's interesting because she's she's a cyborg too right mm. um, and she's in that she's traveling that social f- sphere where um cyborgs are discriminated against right so she but she you know, she kind of hides it, so her cyber cybernetic pieces, and that's so obvious, right? Right. They hit under her coat. Yeah, yeah. Um. So she's, so she's. It's like, it's like a being a black cop, right? You know, you're mm-hmm. you're a black cop, but you kind of have to balance and kind of. Um. I guess it depends on what kind of black cop you are. <laughs> you have to balance, you know, the <laughs> the police department and um and your 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 want to help people, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, so she she's she's a character like that you know um kind of straddled in two worlds the world where um you know where she's 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 a cyborg at the same time she's trying to um live in you know i guess the the upper class world and then we have uh major strom right he's 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 not just federal he's basically a military guy like he's like all right you know you know if if we have to bring in tanks so be it if we have to bring bring in some um airstrike Let's get the get it. We're gonna get this guy shattered, you know. And he doesn't, you know, mind destroying the city. So, um, and and on the flip side, you know, um, the detective, she's like, no, you know, this is my city. You know, I need to protect it. So, um, it's that kind of dynamic, um, which makes it more interesting than your typical uh, that that typical approach to the um the trope because it's it's a little bit more extreme. Gotcha. You know? Now now. Through through what you see visually throughout the comic book, uh, the way that you talked about cyborgs um, and how they're depicted as uh, being discriminated against, is it is it going to be, I guess, referenced that um, more so between cyborgs and the elite and how they look and how how prejudice is pretty much visual in a sense. So yeah. it, are we are we seeing that as more of like. Um, is it more prejudice or is it sort of like classism? It's I would say it's both. Okay. Because you know, Great. them being um cyborgs is a result of classism. Because what we did is um the reason why a lot of people are cyborgs is because the city of Demetropolis, certain areas are polluted, mm. you know. Um, and because of that pollution, you know, they've developed cancer and just chronic illness that, you know have them you know uh have uh decaying body parts um non-functioning organs and things like that so they have to get replaced so you know that's a result of um classism and then you know um the other part where we're talking about just um based on um just like racism you know that that's the flip side now you know not now like like we said now that you have that physical attribute you can be discriminated against based on that, you know, and um, I, I really love the idea that TJ and I came up with that cyborgs are discriminated because, you know, it's it's a physical attribute you can see. And at the same time, 
um, we're talking about this discrimination, it, it, it goes across races, right? You can be a, cy a white cyborg, um, mm -hmm. um, Asian cyborg, black cyborg, you know, what have you, right? Um, so in that respect, it helps people kind of um, identify um, with the, the kind of um, uh, prejudice and, and I guess, um, what's the word for cyborg racism? Cyborgism? <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> some kind of ism, but you know, some uh, so um, races, racism against cyborgs, I guess. Um, so yeah, we it, it, it kind of helps uh, people kind of just people in general identify with that kind of um, racism or that discrimination, you know, because mm -hmm. and you know, they can see it happening to them also, not just one particular uh, group of race of people. Got you now. Um can can we talk about like the artwork that I've seen, like from the panels and everything that is that is that that you basically put up through the Kickstarter campaign? Who I for one, you both are not slouches when it comes to the artwork that you put in both your books. <laughs> Newton, this is this is pretty much the first one I've seen of yours and that's actually in color. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way the way that 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 Giancarlo basically like drew this out for this to be yeah. like strictly in black and white. Like, this is amazing. And yeah, the thing yeah. is, we're talking about like cyberpunk and how this is drawn out. When we're talking about Joystick Angels, who evidently the colorist for, for this book is the colorist for Villainous. That's right. Yep. Yeah, the, the art was, um, shoot, man. So every story is kind of interesting. Every journey has like, you know, ups and downs and, you know, some some u-turns and some left and right turns and some you know dead ends all this stuff and i think newton and i ran into all that stuff basically looking for the right artist uh, i think mm. the first couple times we were um you know searching for an artist we you know contacted some people out of the country contacted some local folks to see like hey you know who can really bring this style to life because we were thinking you know big budget you know scale like cyberpunk, like we're talking fifth element, you know, we're talking um, shoot matrix, if you can, you know what I'm saying? Just that level of like, even a little bit of a cure in there, like really trying to build this world that's like epic, you know what I'm saying? So first artist we had Ed, um, and Nain Zion, Edgy Zion from France, really did a fantastic job of just starting, you know, the chapter off, you know what I'm saying? And then you know, we ran into this other guy named Salo Menferias. He's a guy out of Chile. And he was the person that, you know, kind of hit the bullseye on the first try, which was really incredible. Um, we got really, really lucky because uh, Salo, who we, we call Solomon Frias, we call him Salo, he draws cyberpunk and futuristic artwork like you've never seen before. I mean, mm -hmm. the structures, the buildings, the people, the costumes, like, that was the big thing that kind of stuck out for me, like the architecture yeah. and the landscapes of like how the backgrounds looked. It was like, this is like Blade Runner type. That's right. Type yeah. shit. I was like, man, I was like this, like it, regardless of how Shadow looks, because Shadow looks amazing. Like I'm looking beyond him in most of the panels and I'm like the city cityscape, how the cars look, how everybody looks. Major Strom looking like Simon Phoenix from Demolition Man. You know, like, like all this looks fire. Because, like, if you notice any big cyberpunk story, the backgrounds and the visuals, even like you think about Star Wars, which is very cyberpunk as well, even though it's a space opera, the backgrounds and the, and the environments are also a character. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, like, the amount of detail that has to get put into those is just as important as, you know, a facial expression. So, um, Solo got the picked up what we were trying to put down from the very, very start and just understood the assignment and then, you know, executed so flawlessly. And he was drawing so fast that it was like, oh man, issue two's done. <laughs> issue three's already starting. And it's like, Newton's like, man, we just got to put this whole thing out as a collected edition so people can get <laughs> all of this fire-ass artwork in one shot, you know? Man. Now, Newton, now, what, what did you think of the art when you first saw it? Like, it, when it first got, gotten, gotten to your head? So yeah, so like TJ said, we had two artists. Um, the first issue artist, Edgy, or Ed, um, yeah, Edgy, I think we call him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he his artwork was is 
was really it, it kind of blew me away um and plus he he was also the colors for that i think too right he did the artwork i think he yeah he so he did the the color coloring and the artwork so um yeah his his artwork was nice and then um unfortunately he he could only do one book for us so we, after that we had to find another artist Wow. And then, um, so I, I knew Silo from before and I was, I was basically kind of like waiting on him. I was like, cause I had, um, another book I was, um, working on called uh, Galaxy Cadet and I wanted him to, to be the artist for it. And when I had reached out to him, he was, um, he said he was busy. He, um, there's another book, I forgot the name of it, but he, he was, he's also um, an artist for another published indie book. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was also a sci-fi book. So I was like, um, I said, yo, TJ, what do you think about um, this guy's silo? Um, I was waiting for him to do um, Galaxy Deaths, but I think he'd be good for this um, this story. And TJ saw his artwork. He's like, yeah, dope. Yeah, um, um, let's go with him. And um, like TJ said, um, you know, silo has not disappointed. He, he was, he's pretty much on point with everything. Um, a lot of times, you know, TJ is like texting me. He's like, um, check out the, the next artwork of Silo. I'm like, most of the times it's like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, this is great. This is great. You know, once nah. in a while, nah, what he says is cool. Dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bet. And I'm just like, yo, this shit is fire. What the fuck? Yo, you see this shit? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. They're freaking out. Noom's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, when you guys were like researching them, were you more so looking for somebody that they consistently just drew sci-fi or drew cyberpunk or was it just like i can look at anything that this person has has put together and just tell he has the feel that he can get this job done um, to be honest when it comes to artists i really like to see if they how they attack a particular genre because mm -hmm. i find that you know um artists are just like people you know there are things that they like there are things that they don't like you know um, and sometimes they may gravitate towards a, one particular like genre over the other. You know, one artist may not like to write draw spaceships and all these complicated mechanical things that are futuristic, right? They be they may like more like of the um, the the fairy tale or fantasy world, right? Right. Um, drawing drags and things. So usually I try to find because I try to find an artist who um, who. I've seen work in that particular genre because mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I don't, it, it's rare that you find, I've, I've seen artists who can just draw in any genre, but for me, I find that usually an artist has their strength. So I, um, so yeah, I was, I was looking, I was looking for an artist or we were looking for an artist who, 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 um, who could hit sci-fi. Mm. But also just to kind of quickly add, we were really looking for somebody who kind of just, um, you know, understands the vision. I think, you know, historically speaking, what we both kind of brought to the table, you know, Newton with Crescent City Monsters, like Gian gets the assignment, he understands what the look is, and he executes it. It's, it's a kind of a, a synchronistic, beautiful working relationship. And, you know, uh, me being the artist and writer on my own book, but then having another team right. doing, you know, completely just artwork from my script with Joystick Angels. That's how it was with Nats Ledesma out of the Philippines. It was literally just, you know, we just, he just knows what we wanted before yeah. we wanted it. And it was easy to work with him. And this, the solo is the same. Like he literally just took, you know, like obviously the, the ball was in the air, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. From Ed and then Salo just catches it wide receivers that joint yeah. and he's just <laughs> running in for the touchdown. So um, shout out to Salo, man. He's just like yeah. I said, he's, he's taking it to another level out here. Yeah, shout out to Silo. He, yeah, um, TJ is absolutely right. That's that was that was really important to us because TJ and I were really busy people. The last thing we need is like an artist who who doesn't really get what we're talking about, and there has to be a lot of back and forth. You know, um, uh, you know, we've got a lot of projects, we're juggling a lot of things. So somebody like TJ said, somebody who just gets it like this, boom, that's super important. You know, that's like half the formula right there. Now, when we're talking about like the continuation of this uh, of this book, eighty pages, going through going through this volume, the the storyline of Shatter, generally in these type of uh, type of uh type of storylines, you know, the Messiah complex comes in uh, for the character. 
therefore there's usually themselves meeting their demise by their own hand or better oh, yet you're getting into spoilers here man i know where you're going with you know this what I'm saying? <laughs> generally generally that does happen so my question doesn't necessarily revolve around that is that is there any supporting characters within this book that you could see being a fan favorite to where if Shatter were completely out of the picture, this person could take over. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, what's really incredible about Villainous as a series, right? Um, so what's kind of interesting when you look at, you take a, a 10,000 foot view of like what I create with Ray Comics and what Newton creates with Dream Fury, um, both of these comic series, let's say Okamis and, and Crescent City Monsters, they're not necessarily about one character. I mean, there's one main character, but there's yeah. all these other interesting, you know, supporting cast members and different aspects of the story that you got to get to know this person and this person and that person. And it really makes it much more of a, um, you know, uh, beautiful and colorful tapestry of story and narrative. And we did the same thing with Villainous, where we spent quite a bit of time giving everybody you know a whole story about shatter and about you know malik f doom and there's all you know this this crazy politician you know what i'm saying we also give you a story about you know the uh, cyborg prospects these young kids that are like pulling off these odd jobs you know what i'm saying just around town that are big fans of shatter you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. there's this whole unique story line about major strom and his relationship with kinesa mystery and what they're doing with law enforcement and then there's destruct this whole big rebellious organization so each one of them has a very very interesting story that you're going to see unfold kind of like piece by piece so it's not like okay the justice league where you're going to see five of the same main characters in the room and there's all this witty banter it's more like okay shatter had his moment for these five pages now we're going to give the moment to this other group and this other group and this other group that we're going to bring it back to shatter and it's this full cyclical thing so you get this really unique story mm -hmm. throughout like and it's never dull like ever dope now the when we're talking about like the team aspect destruct um being this uh sort of um elite fighting force going up against like underground rebels actually Really, kind of like the like the Morlocks from like X Men. You well, not literally that. underground, but, ah, but <laughs> literally, said not literally underground. They don't but like hidden. Yeah, they're, they're they're hidden. Yeah, like they wouldn't be out in the open or in an office building. They kind of be wherever. Okay, yeah. got you. But they don't necessarily work for a particular faction. Well, not they are like a faction, like themselves, like oh, they're they're a rebel force, you know. Like, you know mm -hmm. how you know, the Star Wars Rebel Force, they're basically like that, you know, they fight the Empire. <laughs> so, now, now, we talked about like basically how how this revolves around the uh, the psyche around Shatter. Um, for, for the viewer in the page, um, how does it, how is Shatter gonna come across to the audience and and you have the ability to root for him? Oh, it's going to be tough because and we, we, the way we structured it is that you're not supposed to like this guy in the beginning. Like he's killing, the first book, he's killing people. I mean, he, you know, granted these people deserve to be killed in the first issue, but you know, he's, you know, he, he's getting drunk, you know what I'm saying? He's partying like this, like he just dudes wilding out. Like he's not like, he's the type of dude, like, you know, after a long day of hard work, I'm going to go out and, you know, I might, you know, score some drugs like you know what i'm saying like who knows what this <laughs> mm -hmm. guy is gonna do he's just like he's so unhinged that there's nothing that is outside the scope of what this character is so we're really pushing the envelope to see like just what we can do because ultimately we want everybody to kind of hate him at first and then maybe hate him a little less later on mm. yeah because like you you take um a character I'm trying to think of another anti-hero that they have in comic books, but um, he, I would almost, I guess the, the closest is like Lobo, right? Mm, okay. The guy who just like, um, who just does raunchy things too. You know, he's not like your typical superhero. Like, you, like for example, you take the Punisher, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, Punisher, don't kill. And he's like, no, I'm going to kill uh, whatever, right? But, you know, you can't imagine Punisher going to a bar 
you know, a strip club, you know what I mean? After that, no. right? No, but my man Shatter, that's what he does. <laughs> you know <what> I'm going <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hang out. I just took so, out an entire office building. I'm, I'm going to have some drinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in costume, so, in his superhero gear, just chilling yeah, at the bar. Chilling, or like, like whatever, you know. Yeah, I'm on the most wanted list, uh, but you know, get me a drink. <laughs> mm. Now, now, when we're talking about the action in this book, are there are there moments in time where, like, within this first volume, that there's a lot that that is built around this whole book? Like, there's just there's just that much action built into the book because I've I've seen it from the both of you within like the the first couple pages of maybe like a couple of your books. There's a lot of like action scenes in there. So as far as like from the artist perspective, they had to know how to basically do fight choreography through their art in order to get this out. Yeah, we were lucky The both the artists were really good at um, fight scenes, you know, really cinematic, dynamic angles. Um, and the, the, the panel layouts, they, it was, they did a really good job. Um, and so, and, and we did, you know, I think we did a really good job at pacing the action too. We, we have a lot of action, but not too much where it's like, you know, all right now, you know, <laughs> you know, let's, let's move on. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's got a lot of action. I think our action pages, at least like four pages for each action sequence, right? Yeah, yeah it's least, extensive. Yeah. I mean, issue one, you get big budget action off the, off the jump, like off the cuff. It's just, that's what it is. And then issue two, you kind of get more into deeper parts of the story, some of the other characters, and then issue three, it ramps up crazy all over again. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like what you're going to see in issue three is going to be really wild. Like, I mean, me, me and Newton had a lot of fun writing that, that particular issue because it's like, oh man, crazy. You know what I'm saying? Big, like dual, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's going to be wild. You're going to love it. So, so is it basically like Michael Bay, Michael Bay in a comic book? Yep, exactly. Straight up. <laughs> I need explosions. Bad explosions. Yeah, there's an explosion scene where you know, um, Shad is just walking, and there's an explosion behind him. <laughs> you know that type of movie, and his and his hair is blowing in the wind, kind of thing. You know. <laughs> now, now I gotta judge both your brother's confidence because this Kickstarter is only 21 days long. Now, is there a reason for that? Like y'all just knew. Well, so oh, it's, uh, it's actually 22, 22 days. days, yeah. You know, because the way the countdown and um, uh, Kickstart works for some reason, as soon as you launch it, boom, <laughs> it's only 21 days left. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's the 22 full days because, um, you know, um, uh, the comic is called Venus, right? V, right? Mm -hmm. Two, right? So two, two, two. We launched on two, two, two for 22 days. <laughs> right, yeah, you down. know, that... <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's all TJ's idea. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that was such a dope idea. I was like, yo, yeah, we definitely got to do that. So, yeah, 22 days and it launched on 22222. I'm not sure if that's on twos, but it sounds like it. <laughs> I didn't tell TJ to be uh, into numerology. What's going on, man? Oh, man, he, this dude is a palm reader, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to wrap my head up with one of them turbans as soon as I leave this interview. <laughs> damn. Yeah, so so, I so what are you saying this whole thing's built around superstition? <laughs> I, I'd say it's, you know, I just I, I like, you know, what I'm saying how, um, you know, I, I just recently kind of like started to learn more about astrology and like numerology and numbers and just the power of how certain numbers line up with the universe. And when people talk about, let's say your golden birthday, like, you know what I mean? Okay. I was born on the 22nd or you turned 22 on January 22nd of the 22nd year, whatever, like all of those numbers actually have power. And I think a lot of times we, um, especially in our community, forget how powerful words and things can be, but words actions, thoughts, decisions can move mountains within the lives of others and yourself. So mm -hmm. we kind of wanted to do something interesting, something sleek, and just see how the stars would align if we had, because literally there's two people coming together, you know what I mean? Two people, two creatives coming together mm -hmm. on the yeah, 22nd. Yeah. So it's yeah, all like, stop, man. <laughs> it all lines up. So it's like, this just feels, feels right. You know what I'm saying? It was funny, like every minute we 
thinking of something that's related with two like two creators and then you know um the whole you know um villainous v, v right two. Yeah. <laughs> damn yo I, I yeah you see you got me sold i mean i already i already bought into the kickstarter but now you really got me sold <laughs> see what i'm saying so what outside of this project what else can we expect from both your brothers within 2022 uh so i'm gonna open up my own movie studio and no just kidding um <laughs> i was right here with you man <laughs> uh, you know i it's funny i you know, the reason i say that is because a lot of times people are like Yo, you should make this into a movie. So, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd just throw that out there. You know, mm -hmm. maybe in the universe, maybe you know, five, ten years from now, um, you guys can attend my movie studio opening. But yeah, um, <laughs> so you know, outside of uh, villainous, you know, uh, working on Keisha, Demon Eater, um, yeah. So that's that's my main focus right now. I'm trying to get that Kickstarter maybe launched maybe in April. Okay. Um, across the end and so with that book too um i'm going to have the two different versions both the um the grayscale version that you typically see gian work on um added with a splash of color and then um then a full color version so mm -hmm. hopefully i can come up with two versions two books just boom <laughs> my people dead with like <laughs> grayscale and color yeah tj yeah, man. Oof. Um, my head be. Am I? Am I, oh, I said I was muted, but I'm not. Okay, no, great. Good. So, a lot of stuff this year, man. I mean, first of all, we wanted to kind of start the year off right with villainous. We figured Black History Month was the an epic time to kind of you know really address some of the, the issues that we've been feeling and trying to get off our chest with you know this particular narrative and this story. But so many other cool things, man. Uh, Joystick Angels is, you know, uh, going to be done by, you know, next few months. So Joystick Angels issue two is going to be dropping pretty soon. I'm currently drawing Okamas issue six. The script is already written. Layouts are done. So that's going to probably be done by the end of the year. Um, a long time coming. Okamas Dark History, which is basically a look at this, you know, dark, desolate, futuristic world mm. of you know, of Okamas and, and where um, Kale as a young baby is born this into this world. And we kind of see the history of where he comes from. So it's kind of like the prequel before you get to the final issue of Okamas. And that's actually a, that's an 86 page interior comic book, but it's actually going to be a hundred page graphic novel with the pinup gallery we have. And that's going to drop within the next couple of months. So mm. there's that. And I'm hoping, 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 crossing my fingers that, um, the other book that I'm working on is going to be out. But so far, definitely Okamas Dark History, Joystick Angels Issue 2. Um, yeah, and that's it, man. Oh, now, now in the state of, with the state of comic books, what do you, how are you guys feeling about like the, the recent uptick in adaptations that are basically being brought onto either uh, TV or film, whether they're independent comics who are basically uh, now jumping into TV and film or better yet, just like titles that you necessarily wouldn't even see being adapted. Is it is it is it too much too soon, or is it like more the merrier? You mean uh, indie create by um, adapted yeah, by all of it? Oh no, the more the merrier. I mean, <clears throat> I think indie creators are a good source for um, uh, the movie studios, right? Um, mm -hmm. Especially if you don't have that Marvel or DC connection. And then you have an indie creator who, who's who got a, a fan base large enough where, you know, there, there is that interest or a story that that is that incredible that you could put into a movie or TV series. Um, so, yeah, the more the merrier. I mean, shoot, if they just go strictly indie creators, I'm, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad at it either. <laughs> what do you think, TJ? Yeah, I, I mean, how do I say it? I'm kind of... While I do like seeing more indie creators, I'm kind of like a mixed bag between both because mm -hmm. I want to see more um, like genuine representation in film, but I also want it to be done responsibly. I want it to be done to a point where like, you know, you're reaching out to creators that have like a large, you know, catalog because there's so many great stories to pull from maybe instead of just maybe one book. 
because yeah. um, I just think you can just you can build more with you know a, a volume and I think a lot of people forget that like you know Spider-Man or X-Men had like 40 years of content before they even did anything live action so it's like go with you know you know studios that really have a lot of like you know a lot of great new projects coming as well as stuff that's you know built um, currently so I mean you know uh, but I am excited to see what they're going to do because I just think it's our time and and I think that we need to see more cool stories but I'm just I want to challenge Hollywood to like pick the books that are that are not your typical superhero tropes you True. know what I'm saying pick books that don't look like yesterday's superheroes or re, a, another version of, of Superman because it's like we've seen five different incarnations of Black Superman. Can we not do another movie or another show or another anything about that? How about we shift to do something horror related like Crescent City Monsters? Like to me, like it's just more interesting because I just haven't seen it. So I just want to see something different. Yeah, I think I think the same can be said because like there was a period of time where uh, I guess if if we if we want to like uh, not necessarily indie. But when a lot of vertical comics got adapted, History of Violence, Road to Perdition, V for Vendetta, uh, The Crow, like those type of those type of uh, I guess off the grid type comic books were starting to get adapted in the movies. And the thing is, it was like those weren't bad movies at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So necessarily, we don't want to get to the point where. Yeah, uh, we we got a, a George R. R. Martin decision where uh, I haven't completed my books. You're developing my story into film. You've bypassed my books in yet creating your own ending. And now I have to catch up and change the whole dynamic for that story, even though we know season eight of Game of Thrones does not exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All facts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I because I, I just finished watching the second season of Raisin Dion, and and you know, um, while I thought this the this the start of the season was really good, I just the ending didn't hit for me because it just it just felt kind of rushed. It didn't feel like it was really well thought out. But there's only one comic book that exists for Raisin Dion, and while it's dope, yeah. it's like if we had more, maybe we could pull from different stories. We could make it a little bit more robust. But I think a lot of times you have these studios that are just like, okay, one season, we'll see how it does. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. One season, one season done. Even some of these popular shows are getting axed like just like that. And they've already, they've got millions of fans. Like it's, true. it's crazy to me, man. Like it's really kind of wild to watch the landscape evolve over time. Yeah. I think that can be said for what Jupiter's legacy. They came up with that one season, chopped it. But the Dark. thing is, Mark Mel Mark Miller had like a bunch already like in the bag for Netflix, so it was like, oh yeah, I'm releasing Super Crooks like as an anime next year, and it came out, and people liked that. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got like a multi deal with um, I'm not sure if it's Netflix or just in general, but mm -hmm. they license like his whole library of stuff, and he he's like, I think he's got like first look deals, and yeah. I think it was. <laughs> That dude is set in terms of movies and TVs. And it, it wasn't like he wasn't doing it anyway. What he had kick ass like that came out like mm -hmm. uh, I think like five, six years, maybe seven years ago. Kick ass yeah. and kick ass too. Yeah, he, the, had, um, he had two variations the, of it. The the gentleman or whatever, that one yeah. too. Yeah, he yeah. had that. Like he he be hey, he has a lot, you know what I'm saying? A lot of stuff. Dope. Well. TJ Newton, it was a pleasure to have both of you on, man. This was this has been super dope, man. So, uh, is, is anything you want to tell your audience about the the campaign? How much? Uh, well, we got twenty days left. Yeah, twenty days left. Um, we want to say thank you to everyone who's already supported the campaign. The day ones, the day twos. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, Fax is one of them. Day one. Uh, you know, we're already um, about 70% away, you know, uh, to our goal, you know, what I'm saying we're raising $11,000 for three comic books and one collected edition. Um, it's an absolutely incredible comic series, you know, usually going Kickstarter, you get one book, in this case, you're getting three, so you get a full story. Um, and it's really incredible. The art's incredible, the story. So we want to say thank you for just supporting us. Please continue to tell your friends, your family, share it, tag it, up your pledges, do whatever you want to do. Just keep the momentum going for the next 20 days so we can close out strong, get you guys your books as soon as possible. So, Newton, last words? Uh, yeah, same here. Just um, you can go to villainous.com uh, just to make it quick. That's a V I V I. L L A I N U S 
villainus.com. So it's uh, spelled differently, villainus, right, .com. Um, that'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page. Um, we're close to being funded. So, you know, um, make sure you get your support in early. We've got um, uh, some surprise stretch goals in store. So make sure you, you join the bandwagon. That way you can participate in the stretch goals, get some, some free stuff added to your, uh, your tier. That's basically what the stretch goals are. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, check us out at villainous.com. Support the project, you won't regret it. It's a short project, so it's not your typical 30 days. It's, um, it's uh, 22 days, but we only have what, 21, 20 wow. days left. Um, so, you know, try to support as, uh, as early as possible. And just a quick reminder, when you do Kickstarter, they don't take out the money immediately. It's always after the project. So um, even if it's not payday or paydays coming up in the next couple of days, um, you won't be charged and you got plenty of time to, uh, you know, stack them chips up for some great comics. Dope. So you heard both these brothers here, basically go out there to Kickstarter's live right now to, uh, to basically get your hands on villainous, the graphic novel, cyberpunk noir, um, get your hands on Okamus, get your hands on jo Joystick Angels, get your hands on Crescent City Monsters. That's Ray uh, RayComics.com. That's also DreamFuryComics.net. Uh, DreamFuryComics.com. Uh, DreamFuryComics.com. DreamFuryComics.com. And you can get your hands on these brothers' entire catalog. So uh, for, from me, James Grandmaster Facts Boyce, TJ Sterling, Newton Lillevoix, we... Are out.